We're so glad you're here uh, today. Grab your Bibles if you would. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, this is a very familiar passage of scripture for many people during the Christmas holiday. It tells the story about the angel's announcement to the shepherds about the arrival of Jesus. We are continuing our Discover Christmas series uh, this morning, and uh, today we're going to talk about the gospel of joy, the gospel of joy. Luke chapter 2, start reading in verse 8. If you're there, say, I'm there. This is in the same region. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we we live in a message culture. And here's what I mean. How many of you have an inbox full of emails? Maybe you got to check and get a look through messages being sent to you that way. And then we've got text messages. We've got voice messages uh, with social media. We got direct messages. And then we have, you know, with, um, with Facebook, you just message people all the time, right? We are a message-driven culture, which means that we have a number of ways that we can disseminate information that we can tell people what's going on with our life, that we can announce things and give uh, information to people about what's happening in our life. This is kind of the way we are in this culture. Now, what's interesting is this, is that there should be some etiquette involved with how we give information. In other words, what I mean is, is that there are some things that you just don't wanna post on social media or send through direct message. You wanna have those conversations either on the phone, FaceTime, or maybe sitting down. So like if you're communicating something of, of significance in your life, you may text a friend and say, hey, can I call you? I wanna just tell you about something. And immediately they're gonna be thinking, okay, yeah, call me. And they're thinking, okay, is it good news, bad news? What the thing is, that what are they gonna share? You know, what's this all about? And then you call and you have the conversation. If, if it's more important news and it's more serious things that you're going to share with them, you may text and say, hey, can we have coffee? Can we have lunch? Can we sit down? I want to tell you about some things that are happening or give some information about what's going on with my life. Well, then automatically they're going to go, that's going to be elevating the, the what kind of news is this? Is it really good news or really, really bad news? Then if you send the message that says, hey, uh, do you mind if I come over and hang out? I want to talk to you about something. Can I come to your house? they're immediately now going to be going, okay, this has got to be really, really, really bad or really, 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 really good. But then if you just show up unannounced at someone's house and like you knock on their door and they open the door and you're just there and say, hey, I had to come by and tell you about something. Now we're talking about like they either won the lottery and everything is going to be great or somebody has died and this is going to be very awful. And this is the way we process things. I'll never forget one of the most incredible messages that ever came to me came by surprise. Uh, it was a Monday night. It was back in 2004. I was playing basketball. And uh, I had a group of guys playing basketball with. And uh, my wife uh, never came up to the gym when we were playing. And that night, she shows up to the gym and walks in. I see her. And I'm like, what's going on? And then she waves at me and says, come here. And so I told the guys, my wife was here, ran over there. And she said, hey, let's go outside and, and talk. 
And I'm thinking, oh, what's going on? And, and I could tell by her face that it, it, it wasn't bad news, but I couldn't tell if it was good news. So I go outside, I'm like, what's, what's going on? And she goes, I just took a pregnancy test. We're having a baby. And we were just, I mean, I'm talking about jumping up and down. We, we, we had been wanting a baby for about a year and, and I'm gonna get pregnant. And so we're, we're hugging it up and we're, we're just so excited. And then I did the dumbest thing any human could ever do in the moment with big news like this. In fact, if I could invent a time machine to go back in time, I would stop by, punch that guy in the throat, and then move on to something else. Uh, but I looked at my wife, we're celebrating, and I was like, hey, that's awesome. I'll catch you at home. I'm gonna go finish the basketball game. <laughs> Bad idea. Um, so you young, young guys expecting fathers, don't be stupid like me, all right? That's the moral of the story. Unbelievable news. Well, what we read about in this passage of Scripture here is an incredible message. In fact, it's one of the most important messages that have ever been delivered. Anytime in the scriptures you see God giving big news to humanity, big messages to humanity, oftentimes you would see him do this by means of an angel. That an angel of the Lord would go and would share whatever message, whatever announcement was to be made. And I believe that this is one of the, of the two greatest messages that angels have ever delivered to humanity. And I would say that it's one of the two greatest messages ever given, period, to human ears. These angels show up that night in Bethlehem to make this announcement to these shepherds and they tell them news that is gonna change history. In fact, the message that they give to these shepherds that evening, listen, this is the essence of what we're celebrating during the holiday season. And I'll even go a step further. The message that these angels shared that evening is the essence of Christianity. You see, I believe that if we truly get Christmas, I mean really get Christmas, we will really get Christianity. Because when you understand what Christmas is all about, you'll understand what sets Christianity so apart from every other philosophy, religion, or pursuit we could have in this lifetime. And so what we find here is these angels show up and they've got this unbelievable message. Let's look at this message. Look what he says here. He says this, the angel shows up, first words, fear not. Why? Because when the angels show up, people get scared. Fear not, for behold, I bring you, check this out, Good news of great joy. So the question is, what kind of message is it gonna be? Well, the angels say, it's gonna be a great message. It's gonna be good news, and this good news is gonna produce great joy. This is the essence of Christmas. It's good news that produces great joy. Let's talk about good news for a minute. The, the word here that is used in the original language was a word where we translate in English gospel. So good news and the gospel are synonymous. That's what the gospel is. It's a proclamation of good news. So these angels show up on the outskirts of Bethlehem that first Christmas night, and they say, we have a gospel for you. We have good news that we wanna announce, we wanna make known to you. And here is the truth. This is what we've got to understand about Christmas and Christianity. The essence of Christmas and Christianity is good news. It's not good works, it's not good advice, it's not good intentions, it's good news. You see, philosophy wants to give us good advice, religion wants to show us how we can do some good works, self-help 
shows us what our intentions should be and some good intentions that we should have. But listen, none of these offer good news. You see, it's just try this, do this, think about this. And what happens is, is that it only leaves us exhausted, feeling like failures, and empty. It produces anything but joy in our life. All it does is put us on an endless cycle of trying to run after something but never being able to obtain the thing that we're running after. I, I compare it like this. When you pursue religion or the philosophies of this world to find meaning and purpose in life, it's like running on a treadmill. No matter how hard you run, how long you run, how fast you run, you don't go anywhere. All it does is leave you tired and exhausted at the end. You see, the message of Christianity is good news. It's good news that there was something that was done for us that we could not do for ourselves. Now, notice this. He says this good news is gonna produce great joy. Now, this is important that we see this, not just joy, but great joy. In fact, I always tell you uh, every now and then to circle words, highlight words. I want you to circle the word great here. The word great here is used two times in this passage. The first time is when uh, the angels say to them, um, when, they, when it says about them that they were filled with great fear. Great fear. And then it says they were told that this news is gonna bring great joy. Great, the same word, it's the word megas in the Greek language. It's where we get our English word mega. And so what's happening in the story is that when the angels show up and the glory of the Lord shines on the shepherds, they are filled with mega fear. They were filled with overwhelming fear. And then the angels said, no, 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 no. This is not that kind of message. This message is gonna trade your mega fear and it's gonna give you mega joy. It's gonna give you overflowing joy, joy that you can't imagine. That is the, the message that we are bringing to you. Great joy. Joy is, is key to the Christmas story. If you go back and read Matthew and Luke, eight different times in the Christmas narrative. You see this word joy over and over and over again because this is the essence of Christmas. It's joy has come to the world. This is what the gospel produces. Fundamentally, check this out, don't miss this. God's desire for humanity is for us to experience joy once again. I don't know what you think of Christianity, what you think of God. Maybe you see Christianity as just this rigid way of life that robs from you joy. Maybe you see God as this, this grumpy creator that wants to take away things that would make us happy. No, no, no. God is a God of joy and he wants to give us joy and that is what Christmas is all about. Now here's what's happened in humanity. We have traded this substance called joy that is real that God wants to give us and we've traded it for something cheap called happiness. Now listen, I, I, I say this often when I talk about this, I'm, I'm pro-happiness. Like if you, I prefer to have a good day over a bad day. How many, anybody with me on that? Like I like happy, happy's good, but happy is circumstantial. Happy is about happenings. It's about circumstances, it's about what's going on in my world that will either uh, evoke this emotion of happiness or circumstances that will take away the emotion of happiness. For instance, you know, you wake up, all is good, birds are chirping, kids are not fighting, you, you and maybe your spouse, man, things are going really well. It's, I don't know if you've ever had those days, you just wake up and it's a good day. Anybody have had those days? You don't know why? You're just like, man, today's a good day, I feel happy. And then you start heading to work and then that idiot pulls in front of you and then goes below the speed limit. You can't get around them because you get the school bus and now you're gonna be late. Now you're gonna walk into the meeting and you're frustrated. And what happened in that moment is that happiness waved bye-bye when circumstances changed. 
And many of us live our life in pursuit of happiness, a cheap version of joy. And while happiness is good, happiness cannot be what we rest our life on. There, there has to be something more. You see, joy is different. Happiness is about the circumstances around me. Joy is about the state of being inside of me. It's about the internal satisfaction of the soul. And by the way, we were created with this. If you go back and read the creation narrative, uh, there was a, a phrase repeated over and over again. It just continually says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. As the world was being created, as God was forming everything, it was good. It creates humanity. It was very good. It was peace. It was shalom. It was joy. Humanity had perfect satisfaction of soul. And he's like, yeah, I would have satisfaction of soul too if I lived in Eden. But listen to me. The joy that humanity walked in didn't come from Eden. It came from the creator of Eden. They weren't happy or rather joy-filled because they had everything that they needed at their disposal because there was this beautiful place that they could enjoy that obviously played into what they experienced. But the joy that humanity walked in was the joy of fellowship with their creator, of knowing him, of savoring him, of delighting in him, of finding satisfaction in relationship with him. The, 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 the story and the Bible talks about them walking with God in the cool of the day. In other words, humanity was created to delight in God, to know God and to find joy in the presence of God. And that is where joy was walked in. This is what we were created for. David talks about this in Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verse 11, David says this. He says, you, talking about God, you make known to me the path of life. What kind of life? Listen to this. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. It's your right hand pleasures forevermore. David says, when life is found in you and you alone, in fact, he says, the fullness of joy, this is a way of her David saying, mega joy is found in the presence of God. The pleasures that we're looking for is found at his right hand. He alone can provide this. And this is what David is talking about. And listen, and this is the great longing of the human heart ever since the fall of creation, a fall of humanity in the creation story. If you know the story, you know that Adam and Eve walking with God, joy-filled life. They decided that they were gonna peek beyond God's provision, peek beyond God himself as a means of joy. And what happens the instant that they take of the fruit that they should not have eaten from, the moment that they go beyond joy, on God to find joy, immediately what they find is shame, guilt, and strife. In an instant, joy is gone. And joy is replaced by fear, by shame, by guilt, and by strife. Now just think about this for a moment. In the, in the story of creation in Genesis chapter three, when they take of the fruit, something changes in the heart of Adam and Eve in an instant. You see, the, the effects of sin has not changed Eden. Eden is still beautiful. There is still this wonderful place and they, for them to enjoy. And yet something shifts in the heart of Adam, Adam and Eve. Immediately, what do they do? They hide from God. They run in fear. Strife begins between the two of them, blaming each other for what had happened. In an instant, their relationship with God was severed. And because of that, joy left and fear came. Heartache came. Suffering came and strife came. And ever since this moment, humanity has been in this mad pursuit 
for joy. You see, what happened when humanity was cut off from God, the, the very one that we were to live in the presence of to find joy, that relationship being severed, it left a God-sized void in the heart of Adam and Eve and in the rest of humanity. And now we long for that to be filled. There is this enmity, this this chasm between us and God. Now we live in fear of God and in worry of God and if I gotta do something to please God rather than delighting in God. Now think about this for a moment. Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day, the moment that they sin, they hide from God, they try to cover themselves up, they try to find ways to make themselves presentable to him. That, listen, in an instant, what they once delighted in became dread. Now if you have kids, you understand this. Like when my kids were little, um, when I would come home, they would hear the garage door open and I could hear them before I even got in the house, the pitter-patter of feet running across, daddy's home, daddy's home, throw the door open, you feel like a rock star. You come home, they, now that they're teenagers, it's not like that anymore. Just, they got over it. And so they would throw their arms around me and daddy's home and it would just be an exciting time unless they did something bad that day. And those dreaded words from mom, wait till your father gets home. On those days, you didn't have to tell me they did something wrong. When the garage door opened, there were no pitter-patter of feet a feet coming toward the door. You heard them going away from the door. And they're finding something else to do. Why? Because, because of their behavior, what they once delighted in, now they dreaded. And this is what's happened in the heart of humanity. And ever since this moment, we are longing for something to give us wholeness and fullness and meaning and purpose and satisfaction of soul. We're in a search for joy, but over and over and over again, what we do is we settle for happiness, which leads us to a perpetual cycle of, of more things that we think will give us what we need only to get those things and realize it won't do what we're asking it to do. French philosopher and theologian Pascal says this. He says, every one of us are driven by our own pursuit of our personal happiness. All of us are. Do you realize, check this out. People get married and divorced for the same reason. Happiness. Wars are started and wars are avoided for the same purpose. Happiness. During the holiday, people will overindulge themselves in food. I'm a part of that club. And then after the holidays, we will go on strict diets for the same purpose, happiness. All of us are in this mad pursuit of something that will satisfy us and it's a perpetual pursuit and nothing in this life can satisfy us because we weren't created for this life alone. We were created for life in relationship with God. This is why C.S. Lewis says what he does. He says this, he says, our problem is not that we want too much. Our problem is that we are satisfied with so little. He says that you and I are like children making mud pies in the slums when the offer of a beach vacation is right around the corner. Hear what he's saying here? He said, we, we satisfy, we are settled for the, the temporary pleasures of happiness in this world. And he says, listen, it's compared to like life there versus life with God. It's like someone playing and making mud pies in the slums. If they just turn around, there's a beautiful beach and ocean behind them. We were created for the beach and for the ocean, not for the slum mud pies. 
And I love how he concludes this thought. Look what Lewis goes on to say. He says, what if the reality that there's nothing in this world that will fully satisfy and uh, will, will fully and finally satisfy is actually evidence that you and I were made for another world? In other words, what Lewis is saying is, is that the fact that we can pursue the things of this world trying to find joy, but never really finding it and never being fully satisfied is the greatest evidence that maybe there was something greater we were made for than that. And this is the essence of Christmas. And this is what Christmas is all about. Good news for humanity. It is possible now for you to once again have mega joy, great joy in your life. It can be yours once again. So the question is this, okay? So if the message is good news, and this good news produces this great joy, what's the basis of this? Like what is the news that's gonna give us the great joy? I love this. This is what the angels say. Look what he goes on to say again. Let's look back in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Here it goes, of great joy, of mega joy that will be for all the people. Now, the next word I want you to underline or circle in your Bible. This is an important word. For. This is what they call a grounds clause. That this is a word that tells us the reason that this news is good and it's gonna produce joy. So another way of saying it is, listen, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people because, this is what he's saying here, because, here's the news, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is what makes the news so incredible. Now don't miss what he says here. The angels give three titles to Jesus. Three titles to Jesus, and it's these three titles that help us understand the good news of Christmas, the gospel of joy that we find here. Three titles. He says, he is Savior, he is Christ, and he is Lord. Let's look at them individually and see how they work together. A savior. The word Savior literally means to be a deliverer, to be a rescuer. And so the angel is saying, hey, a deliverer is here, a rescuer is here. Now, this is not uncommon. Throughout the story of the Old Testament, God had sent on a number of occasions saviors or deliverers, rescuers to his people. Think about Moses. Moses was a type of savior. He was a rescuer. He was a deliverer. He came in and helped free the people from the bondage of Egypt and took them to the promised land. So Moses is a type of savior. He's a deliverer. He's a rescuer. We see this with Gideon and Samson in the Bible. These judges that God raised up to be deliverers, to be rescuers, to be a type of savior that would rescue God's people from the hands of the enemy. King David, think about him standing before Goliath. He is a deliverer. He is the champion of God's army. He is the savior of the story where he is going to deliver and rescue them from the hands of the enemy. But what the angel says next, the next title helps them understand why this brings such great joy. He says, this is gonna be a savior, but don't think savior like you've had in the past. He's even greater than that. A savior greater than Moses is here, a savior greater than Gideon, a savior greater than Samson, a savior greater than David has come. Notice what he says, he's not just a savior, he is the Christ. That is who this savior is. Now I know oftentimes we hear Jesus Christ over and over and over again, and many times we miss the significance of this title, Christ. We think sometimes Christ is the last name of Jesus. Like we got Todd Connors, we got John Baptist, and we got Jesus Christ over here, right? But Christ is not a name necessarily, it's a title. The word Christ means Messiah, 
anointed one is a literal translation of that. And this is significant because throughout the Old Testament, if you wanna know what the story of the Bible is, it's the story of the Bible is simply this. God promised that a singular person is going to break into history and he is going to restore humanity back to himself and restore creation so that it once again can be under the rule and reign of God. And that person that he promised is called the Messiah the redeemer, the rescuer, the one who is gonna come in and usher in ultimately God's rule and reign. So a deliverer, the anointed one, and they waited for years and years and years and they're longing and they're looking. And then all of a sudden this night, the first Christmas night, these angels break in on the hill and tell the shepherds, I got good news of great joy. A savior has come. No, 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 not any savior. The Christ savior is here the one you've been longing for, the final deliverer, the high priest that was gonna come in and once and for all reconcile humanity back to God, the great prophet who was gonna come and fully reveal who God is, the great king who is gonna rule in righteousness and restore everything to what God intended. He is the one that's here. That's what is so good about this news. But it gets better than that. The Savior, not just any Savior, the Christ, the anointed one, the one you've been waiting for. And guess what? He's also Lord. Now listen, don't miss this. See, why is that title of Lord so important? Because Lord is a title for God. And the angels are revealing to the shepherd that this Savior, who is the Christ, is God himself. You say, how do we know that? Well, if you read back up into the story, here's a couple of things that it says. The word Lord is used three times in the story. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. God sent an angel. The glory of the Lord shone around them. So we, the glory of God came. And then he says, a savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. The same Lord that sent the angels and the same Lord whose glory is shining on them is the same Lord who is in Bethlehem in the manger. That's the essence of Christmas. And I think sometimes we miss it we miss it because we, we're so familiar with the story that we're no longer wowed by this. You see, the baby born in Bethlehem is God himself. God in the flesh, check this out, has come to fulfill his own promise to reconcile us back to himself by saving us from our sins. So God promises, I'm gonna send a deliverer He's gonna rescue you and restore things back. And then we discover that this savior is God himself fulfilling the promise that he made us. God, this is where joy is found. Just think about the name Jesus for a minute. The name Jesus means savior. It means savior. That's what you say, what does that mean? And so the, the name Jesus is significant. And we go back, if you, if you go back and read Matthew's account of the, of the Christmas story, the angels also show up to Joseph, Jesus's adopted earthly father. Matthew chapter one, verse 21, Joseph is told by the angel what to name Jesus. Look what he says here. And you shall call his name Jesus. Now, next word, ground clause, four. Why are we gonna call his name Jesus? Because his name is appropriate. Why? He will save his people from their sins. And this is where we learn what type of savior he is. 
He's not just a deliverer who's gonna come and defeat the Roman Empire. He's not just a deliverer who's gonna come in and make sure that economically you have what you need. He is a savior that's gonna fundamentally meet us at our greatest need, which is to be forgiven of our sin so that we can be reconciled back to God. And here is why Jesus has come. He has come so that he himself might live among us, live like us, die for us, and be raised to life so that in him we might be born again and know God and experience the joy we were created for. And here is the, yeah. And here is the great news. See, Jesus came to do this. You see, Jesus didn't stay in the manger. He didn't stay in Bethlehem. He grew up. And then he went to a place called Calvary on Friday. He was beaten and he was whipped and he was mocked. And he was put on a Roman cross where he died for the sins in our place, for the sins of the world. And then he was taken off of that cross and he was put into a tomb. And just like on that first Christmas night, the angels showed up to make an amazing announcement. On the first Easter morning, those same angels showed up to give the second greatest message ever delivered to, uh, be delivered to humanity. And it was simply this, he is not here, he is risen just as he has said. This is the great news that brings great joy. Emmanuel, God with us, the very presence of God has come so that we might once again find life in him. See, religion can't offer this. Self-help cannot offer this. Philosophy cannot offer this. Listen, at best, it gives us good advice or good intentions or striving to become good people, but we don't need a good philosopher. We don't need even a good religious leader. I don't need a life coach. I need a savior. I've spent my... When I graduated high school, before I went to college, I was a lifeguard. And, um, and so, you know, you're at this country club, and, and so all the moms are sleeping on the lawn chairs, and the kids who all should not be in the pool by themselves are in the pool, and we're watching them. And so when we're given instruction on, on rescuing, so like if a kid is, is drowning, and, and in our training, they didn't tell us to go to the edge of the pool and go, you got this, you can do it. Like that was not in the instructions. If a kid is in there and they're drowning, they don't tell us, hey, hey, get, get beside them and just tell them, hey, it's not as bad as you think it is. They, they don't tell us to get in there and give them coaching lessons on how to swim. Hey, if you'll just make a cup, look at, look at me, look at me, cup, cup the water and pull it. We don't, they don't train us to do that. What do they do? They tell you, get in the water with them and pull them out. The job of a lifeguard is not to be a coach, it's not to be an encourager, and it's not to tell someone life is better than it should be. The, the goal of a lifeguard is to do for someone what they cannot do for themselves. It is to jump in and pull them out. Jesus did not come to be your life coach. He did not come to be just a religious leader to show you morals that you should live by. Jesus came because we were drowning in a sea of sin and our creator jumped into the sea of sin so that he could pull us out. Good news. Great joy. This is the message of Christmas. So the question we need to ask is this. So who is this message for? Like, who is the message for? This is great news, and here's what I'm convinced of, and it does bring great joy, but here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that there are many people who put themselves in one of two categories. They're either the, man, I'm, I think I've got this thing. I really don't need a savior. 
I really don't need this message. And then the other category of people think, man, I'm too screwed up. I don't think this message is for me. I think it's for people that are better than me. And Christmas blows this out of the water. So who is this message for? Go back to the beginning of the story. Verse eight, in the same region, there were shepherds. This is, we read over this and we miss the point. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Listen to this, for all the peoples. What's the significance with this story of the shepherds? Here, here is, we, we read over this and we fail to remember that culturally speaking, the shepherds were the nobodies of society. The shepherds were people who were considered to be unclean and unrighteous and irreligious. They were untrustworthy. They were considered to be thieves and those who took what didn't belong to them. They were not socially acceptable. They were just people who were on the fringe of society, the dregs of society. This is who the shepherds are. And yet the message of all messages shows up and the first human ears to hear the announcement of good news that brings great joy that a savior Christ the Lord has been born are the shepherds. Why? Because God is telling us that this is who he came for. He didn't come for those who think they've got it all together. He didn't come for those who, who, who believe that they have a means of their own way to get to him. Jesus came to the broken, to the busted, to those who had no way unless God intervened. And this is who he came to rescue. And by the way, the shepherds, listen, spiritually speaking, we are the shepherds. The problem is we don't recognize it. So whether if you think you're busted, broken, forgotten, and you've done too much for God to love you, the fact that he showed up to shepherd says to you, he came for you as well. For those of you that think you're so great and so awesome and amazing, and you've got all the things, your life is together, and man, who wouldn't accept you? And God is no exception to that. Hear me say this, you are nothing but a lowly shepherd. And I love the fact that he says, and this will be for all the people's all the peoples. The very first Christmas tells us that the whole world is included in this story. Regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of socioeconomic status, who you are, where you live, how good you are, how bad you are, joy is available to anyone who would recognize that Jesus is Savior, He is Christ, and He is Lord. And I love this. These shepherds, these shepherds are overwhelmed. And you would be too. Are you kidding me? We're, we're getting the announcement that the Messiah is here? And then the angels say, listen, don't just take our word for it. Which, listen, by the way, if an angel uh, breaks it, you're gonna probably believe what the angel has to say, right? The angel's like, just go and see for yourself. And they told him very specific, this is where you're gonna find the baby. This is what the condition's gonna be. It's all verified that what we're telling you is real. So they go, look what it says in verse 16. And they went with haste. Check this out. They went with haste, wouldn't you? Are you kidding me? Good news that brings great joy. We've been longing. We thought we were forgotten. We thought we were on the outskirts. We didn't think God would accept people like us. But all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord showed up to say, hey, for you, unto you, shepherds are born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I'm in. And with haste, listen, they ran and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in the manger. Verse 20, they spent some time there. And then it says this, and the shepherds returned, listen to this, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
Then what is that telling us? Joy has come. These shepherds are so overwhelmed with joy that they cannot contain their worship. How do you know if you're a joy-filled person? You will worship. A person who is filled with the mega joy that comes from Jesus, comes from knowing him and walking in his presence, it will overflow into praise and glorifying God. And this is what you see with the shepherds. Now, don't miss this. This is not circumstantial. Listen, nothing changed for the shepherds, but everything changed for the shepherds. Nothing changed and everything changed at the same time. Say, what do you mean? They just go away. Circumstances not changed. Employment not changed. Opinion about them not changed. Position in the community not changed. But they were forever changed. Joy had filled their heart. Worship now flows from them. You see, listen, their position in life hadn't changed, but their relationship with God had changed. And that, my friends, changes everything. What they discovered that night is that they weren't abandoned, they weren't forgotten, that God keeps his promises, and that what separates them from experiencing the joy that David talks about in Psalm 16, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. They now have access to God, not because they climb some religious ladder or philosophical ladder, or they improve themselves to get to this place of better being so that they can know God. No, 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 no. That God descended to come to them, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh so that we might be reconciled to him. Listen to me. This is why Jesus came. See, we talk about the hope of Christmas and the peace of Christmas and the joy of Christmas. Believer, hear me say this. Hope has a name. Peace has a name. Joy has a name. And his name is Jesus, the one who has come to save us from our sins. He is Christ and he is the Lord. And that is good news for you and I that gives us eternal joy. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads if you would. Just bow your heads if you would. There are many of you in this room and those of you who are in your home and you're wondering right now if you have a relationship with God because you don't know that you have the joy or this hope that we've talked about today. And whether you are in your living room or whether you are in this room, I want you to contemplate these things that there is good news for you and it good news brings great joy. I'm not talking about happiness, it's fleeting. I'm talking about in the soul, in the core of who you are, there is joy that is available. Because unto you is born a savior who is Christ the Lord. If you are uncertain of your relationship with Jesus, if you're uncertain of whether or not you have ever been forgiven of your sin, I want you to know that today I believe the gift that Jesus wants to give you this Christmas is a relationship with him that has nothing to do with how good you are or how bad you are, but has everything to do with how gracious he is. You see, what do I do with this message? Well, just like any gift, you have to receive it, embrace it, take it as your own. You can simply confess, God, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And I believe that Jesus is that savior, that he is Christ, 
and I want him to be my Lord. You can confess that you believe that Jesus died for your sins and he resurrected to save you. And ask God to make you alive and to save you. And if you pray this prayer and you confess this to God, what he promises is that he will restore you to himself and you'll be forever changed because of relationship with him because of Jesus. Father, I'm asking right now that every single person either watching or in this room that has prayed to receive you, God, I'm praying that you will give them the courage to share this with someone. Father, that this Christmas they have received the greatest gift ever given and that is a relationship with you through Jesus. I pray that there would be joy unspeakable and full of glory and praise and worship because you're worthy of that. And I pray that you will continue to reveal what you want for their life as they take this new journey. We love you and we thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.